Well, good morning again to all of you. It is good to be here with you this morning. And uh, I just, again, want to just express uh, just my gratitude and gratefulness to be able to have an opportunity to uh, spend a Sunday with you and to share with you and uh, to just pray and consider whatever God would have moving forward. But I'm just really grateful in many ways. Grateful might be a bit of an understatement in my life uh, at this point, and I'm just very uh, thankful for all the different things that God is doing and um, in the midst of, you know, some craziness that is going on in the world around us. Uh, it is nice to see God at work and, uh, and just um, moving in ways um, that I'm just really grateful for. I'm uh, extremely grateful uh, for my wife and, and her just love and support through this process of we, as we've been praying and considering uh, just trying to see what God would have for us in terms of ministry together. I'm thankful and grateful for uh, my kids, and uh, you saw a picture of them up there, and just they're excited and uh, supportive of what God is is doing and how he's leading, and uh, thankful to have my daughter here with me today as well, and uh, just thankful for uh, my parents as well. A lot of you know uh, my parents, and uh, just thankful for um, just their support and uh, their involvement. And uh, I don't think that they anticipated this or saw this coming, uh, but I'm just thankful for uh, the steadfastness with which they have, uh, you know, loved me and supported me. And it's been it's been really good. And thankful for my family, a family in Colorado that's watching, and just thankful for them as well and their support. Uh, but I, I am thankful for you as the body of believers here at Riverside. I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to already have met, met and interacted with so many of you and uh, just the warm welcome uh, that you've extended to, to me and to my family and uh, just the opportunity to see and to hear what God is doing and how he's working in your lives. And uh, it's exciting. And I'm just thankful for uh, what God is doing here and, uh, and, and I don't know if many of you know this or not, but I've been hearing about Riverside now for a couple of years, and I am thankful to you for the warm welcome that you extended to my parents when they came, and just uh, the blessing that this uh, family of faith has been for them. And so uh, I just want to thank you for that. Um, this morning, I just want to take some time to open God's word and to share with you a little bit of something that God has just been working on in my own life and uh, just teaching me over the last several years. And uh, just to think and to unpack a little bit of what I, I think sometimes can be a little bit of a misnomer from outside secular circles. Sometimes there is this thought process that we as Christians think and believe that we've got all the answers and that if people would just do sort of one, two, three, it would solve all the problems in their life, and then you could be holy and righteous just like us. And, and it's this idea that uh, we've got everything figured out and that we don't have any real struggles, and yet those of us that sit in this room know that that's not really true, is it? Uh, there are uh, battles that we face. There are struggles that we engage in. There are difficulties and trials of circumstance that are all around us. And I'm not just talking at a global or national level. That's obvious, right? We look around the world around us, and many of us sort of wonder what in the world is going on. But I'm talking about even within our own lives and maybe even within our own faith that there are real struggles that happen 
when we live out the day-to-day aspects of our life. Things don't always go the way that we want or the way that we assume that they should even. And so uh, we have these real questions that creep up. And there is, I believe, this reality amongst Christians that we feel at times like God just feels far away from us, that we go through seasons of our life where there seems to be a disconnect, a distance in our relationship with God. And yet sometimes we can feel sort of swallowed up by that because it's not really an appropriate thing to say or to share. It's not something that we really want to talk that much about. We need to present it in a way that we've got things kind of wrapped up because we know kind of all the Christian answers to the struggles that we face. And so we don't want to be perceived as being weak in our faith or, or doubting our salvation. And so we just kind of clam up or, or we tend to sort of box it in these phrases of, you know, you know God can get us through anything. And, uh, you know, we'll pray for you about those things. And we, we just kind of box it around our circumstances without really being able to share and to think about what is really happening in our own hearts. And so this morning, I want to point us to a psalm. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Psalm chapter 13. I want to talk about this idea of uh, when God feels far away. And maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling disconnected in your relationship with God. Maybe you've gone through seasons of crisis or tragedy or sorrow or pain. Maybe you've gone through seasons of life where you've had questions about what is going on. No doubt, globally and nationally, a lot of us are there now. And so the question is, is what do we do and how do we think and how do we process through when we feel like God just seems distant? Is that real? Is it true? Is it something that I can share, that I can experience? And how do I process through it? And so let's read together this psalm. This is chapter 13 of Psalm. The psalmist David is writing. And I'm just going to read the whole psalm, and then we'll walk through and uh, take a look at it piece by piece. But let me read this and then open us in a word of prayer. Verse 1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. If you would, just let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this morning. God, our hearts are humbled by your grace that each day extends new mercies. God, we look to your word with anticipation. God, I pray that you would just use the things that you've prepared to minister and to bless and to encourage and to love on the people that are here. God, we ask for your wisdom, we ask for your leading and your guidance this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's winter, 
And there's an elderly woman, and she's sitting in her rocking chair with a shawl wrapped tightly around her frail form. She sits and she rocks and she gazes out her frosted windowpane onto her frozen fields. A sense of melancholy drapes over her already burdened shoulders. She senses somehow that her life is very much like the scene that is before her in winter's icy grip. For her, just as her fields, she has lost color and vitality and energy, and it's all been smothered out. She senses that what winter's cold compress has done outside, so time and life have done to her within. She adjusts her shawl. She rocks. The nights are worse. Sometimes she awakens with a start, and she reaches over for familiar form, but she finds the covers are unnaturally smooth. Her husband has been gone now for nine years. She's alone. She's forgotten. In fact, so deeply does she feel that she's forgotten that she wonders, perhaps even God has forgotten her. I don't know if you can identify and resonate with where she's at. In Psalm chapter 13, David echoes the very feelings that we often dare not express. And yet so many times we deeply wish that we could say. See, Psalm 13 is a psalm of a forgetting God. Sometimes we look around the world around us and we endure the circumstances and the trials of life and we wonder, where are you, God? What are you doing? I don't know how many of you in the last couple of years have looked around in the world around you and said, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Where are you at? Why are you not stepping in and intervening in my life and in the lives of the people that I love, in the lives of the people that are in the world around me? What is going on? Why is it taking so long? Why is there silence? Sometimes we are on a different timetable than God. I I remember reading about Pastor Philip Brooks. He was a great New England preacher of another age, and he was kind of known as being this uh, very poised person with a very quiet manner, but even him once in a while would sort of get worked up, and so one time he was found to be feverishly pacing the floor like a caged lion, and so someone saw this and they said, Uh, You know, what's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? And he asked, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. I know that that is true in my life, right? Sometimes I'm in a hurry. God, why aren't you acting? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you doing something about this? God just seems in his distance to just be taking his time. And we think and we look back at all the things that are the anchors of our faith, right? We know that God is good. We know that he desires good things for his people. We know that he is all-powerful and that he can change lives, that he has the ability to influence circumstances. And yet sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't. And we think, well, maybe things should operate differently. 
I was reminded of another story that I read about Abraham Lincoln back during the Civil War. He became so angered at the inactivity of his Union commander, George McClellan, that he wrote him a one-sentence letter, and it went like this. It said, if you don't want to use the army, I should like to borrow it for a while. Respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. It's funny, right? But I wonder, have you ever thought that way? Have you ever looked around and seen what was going on or had an experience in your own life? And you've thought, God, what are you doing? You have all of this power. You know, and, and maybe we, we, we are tempted to think that way and to say, God, if you could just loan me your power for just a couple of days, I could bring about so much good. I could fix so many problems. Because it seems like this power is maybe going to waste. And so that's where we're at. And that's what David is expressing in this psalm. And I want to be able to just sort of walk this th- through this with you real quick. But there's, there's three parts to the psalm. And I think it hits at the heart of what sincere and genuine faith looks like. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard. And so let's read through this again. The first two verses of Psalm chapter 13. It says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In this very first section that we see David writing here, he he looks at what is an inward struggle. He's looking at his feelings Right? And, and his feelings are very real. Uh, feelings that are based on truth are to be validated. It, it is the real expression of his experience. And in the midst of his feelings, he asks two very important questions. The first one is, does God forget? I'm going to get used to this. <laughs> does God forget? Right? We forget sometimes, I don't know about you, but we forget things from time to time. Forgetfulness is part of our lives. Unfortunately, forgetfulness becomes a bigger part of our lives the older we get, I think. But we have forgetfulness that happens from time to time. It's common. I remember a story about a professor who was doing a conference in a city that was uh, a few hundred miles away from his home. And so he uh, finished up his Uh, his uh, seminar series that he was doing. And when a week was over, he flew back uh, to his home city and he took a cab home and he was greeted at the door by his questioning wife. And she said, but where is the car? Did you forget that you drove this time? (laughs) And indeed, he had forgotten. And so he had to go drive, take a taxi back to the airport, fly back to the other city and get his car and drive home. You know, it's kind of funny, those kinds of things. Hopefully nothing that significant has happened to you, but some those types of things happen to us. Forgetfulness is a kind of people kind of a thing to do, is, isn't it? It's not a unique trait of an absent-minded professor. We all forget at times, some, sometimes more than others. So is it possible, if even for just a moment, that God may forget Because listen, when we ask this question, all of a sudden, the humor of the absent-minded professor turns to horror. 
Is it possible that even for a moment that God could forget one of us? That he could forget his promises? That he could forget his plans? See, none of us can adequately explain the absolutely tragic events that happened to tens of thousands of people around remote places of the earth. But perhaps the question becomes even more troublesome when we consider the individual more than the masses. You've been hearing about what's going on in Afghanistan with the church over there. And it's tragic. It's heartbreaking. And, And we have a certain amount of empathy for the people and what they're dealing with there. But don't we all know that it's true that it is easier to deal with when it's someone else and it's far away. And when, when those tragedies strike our own lives and we sit in the despair of our own circumstances, then it is much deeper and it is what much more significant and felt in deeper ways. And that's what David is describing. There was a young mother of four whose heart was full of love for God. And then she was stricken with a terrible viral infection that settled in her brain. She was hospitalized for months and she went through numerous tests and operations. And her husband, who was troubled with her ailment and the family's mounting medical bills, he himself became hospitalized uh, for a time because of these hive-induced or nerve-induced hives. And so one night she was... Uh, talking to the pastor. The pastor was visiting with her, and she looked at him, and her face was distorted due to the medication. Her hair was shaved off for the next morning's surgery. Her body was wasting away, and her heart was troubled for her children and her family. And she looked at him, and she said, Pastor, has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten me? It's real when it's your life. It's deep, it's meaningful, it's significant when it happens to you. And so whether it comes from an old woman in a cold room or a young mother in a hospital bed or a parent with a dying child or just a person who has lost hope, a person who is under siege at work, a person who has experienced betrayal from a spouse or a family member or a close friend, The question is real, it's persistent, it's nagging. Can the God of knowledge have a memory block? Can the only wise God be absent-minded? Is it possible that the omniscient can forget, even for a moment, one of his children? David is struggling with these feelings. It might be helpful to understand the context here of what David is going through and what he's experiencing, right? You know the story of David. God has promised David the throne of Israel through the prophet Samuel. And yet that day of coronation seems further and further away. Saul was attacking him and trying to kill him. He was doing evil things. And yet God was not judging him. And David was doing good things. And yet he felt abandoned by God. David was disturbed by what the enemy was doing. He's disturbed by what his circumstances are, right? He's disturbed by the fact that Saul is pursuing and trying to attack and kill him. But listen to this. More than that, David is concerned not just by what Saul is doing, but he is concerned about what the Lord is not doing. He's concerned 
Why isn't God acting? Why isn't he intervening? You can hear this. How long? How long will you allow this to go? It's a perfectly good question to ask if your heart is right with God. David felt that God was ignoring him and that this alienation would be complete and final. He also felt that God was hiding his face from him instead of smiling upon him. How long? Do you, do you hear the pain in that question? See, this is a statement that is the underlining question of this psalm. In fact, the structural assumption is, that God, not, is not that God can forget, but that he has forgotten. Notice that he's not saying, God, will you forget me? He's saying, in fact, you have forgotten me. How long will you continue to forget? And so this raises an even greater question based on the reasoning of fear. Since God has forgotten and since God is eternal, does his forgetfulness last forever? How long? And so this leads David and it leads us in this passage to a second important and significant question. Not just does God forget, but also does God turn away? Does he turn away from his children? Does he forget the things that we're facing? And does he turn his back on us when we need him most? Believing that he's been forgotten by God, David turns to his own resources, only to be frustrated again. Notice here in verse 2, he says, How long must I take counsel in my own soul? He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure out what he needs to do and how he needs to solve his problems because it doesn't seem like God is doing it. It doesn't seem like God is at work. David seems to suggest that he lies awake at night trying to find some escape, trying to find a way out of his troubles. But the coming of light, which you would think would bring new hope, only renews his pain as he has another day of sorrow in his heart ahead of him. His plans are futile plans. His counsel is worthless counsel. He is hurting, and he knows no way out. There are times that we can feel forgotten, that we can feel like we've done all the right things, and yet God seems to have disappeared. And so how do we respond when we do things the right way, with the right motivation, and we still don't receive the blessing of God? Well, in this, is Psalm 13, is that eventually it drives David to this place of pain, drives him in his hopelessness to a place of prayer. Again, he's saying, how long? These are feelings that David has been dealing with for some time. And in his pain, he's coming to God and he's crying out and it drives him to prayer. Consider this, if it's really true that God has turned away, then why even bother? David's initial cry is addressed. He says, oh Lord. David is using a name that rests in his relationship with God. It, it, he's lamenting God's lack of intervention, but he's acknowledging the relationship. And so he praise. It's tough because when you're in the midst of difficult circumstances and trials and circumstances, sometimes prayer is the last thing that you want to do, right? You know that nobody wants to admit that, but sometimes that is the reality, is that things get so difficult and the despair is so deep that the last thing that I want to do is to go and to pray. It's a burden that is carried 
It's a burden that is weighted down. And yet David musters this up. In the midst of his pain, he finds the motivation. He finds the faith to come and to pray. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, our hope despairs and our despair yet hopes. That somehow there is hope that is found in our despair. Every believer may feel at times that God has forgotten or abandoned them. But then we pray. Let me say this too. Sometimes there is such deep hurt and such deep pain that the person who is going through it cannot pray. They do not have the words to be able to express the prayer of their heart. And I think that this is what we talk about when we look in the New Testament where it says that we are to lift one another up, that we are to carry one another's burdens, that there are literally times that the pain is so great that we cannot do what we know we need to do. And so the body of believers comes around these people and prays and lifts them up and brings about the activity of God on their behalf in a way that they are not able to do because of the depth of their hurt. But David moves past just his feelings. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. David moves here from an internal struggle where he's dealing with his feelings to a very real outward danger. There, there is a real foe that he's experiencing, right? I think sometimes we, we have to resist the urge to sort of operate with an expectation that if we just pray for people and if we say a couple of verses, it's just going to solve all of their problems. Praying for people and sharing God's word with them is essential and important, right? Right? But we cannot bring with it this expectation that it will instantaneously solve the problem. There is a process because the danger is real. It is more than just you need to have more faith. You need to pray more. You need to read more. You need to come to this study. There are real issues and circumstances that are part of life that we have to face. And it is process of trying to wrestle through those feelings as well as the real outward circumstances of our life, and allow God to come and to work. See, this is a cry that David makes. In fact, it maybe even is a scream for God to hear, followed by a call for him to save. There are two parts to this section. The first is there is a prayer for help. It's a desperation. When we get into a true spiritual down period, so that we even begin to doubt God, then we must pray for God to hear and to save. For some, the response of pray about it seems trite, and, and sometimes it is. And that's why we need other people to step in and to pray on their behalf. But it is still true that if this consideration is given with sincerity and compassion, it is the best advice that can be offered for a, a hurting brother or sister in Christ. David says, O oh Lord, my God. It's a confession of trust. A confession of trust in the midst of despair brings life into trouble. 
See, when we are at our weakest moments in our most difficult periods of time, even if we can simply muster the tiniest pieces of trust, God will respond and God will answer. David considers the motivation of his request, a consideration that we ought to evaluate in our own prayers. What are we praying? How are we praying? What is it that we ought to be praying? David says that if God does not answer his prayer, he will die. And not only will this death be one of God's servants, but also the enemy will believe that he has won the victory. They will assume that their perverse pride of paganism brought the fall of the one who has stood for a living God. That's part of the picture, isn't it? It's not just the hurt and the pain that we experience, but it's also seeing other people who are doing the evil, and it seems like they're getting away with it. It it seems like somehow there's no judgment that is being enacted upon them. And so we begin to pray. But sometimes our prayers are misled. They're in the wrong place. The results of God's response should be thought out to determine the worthiness of the request. You know, think about a child, right? You have a little girl, and she might pray for a Hershey bar the size of her backyard. (laughs) That would be great. But is that really a prayer that is worthy? In some sense, it might be, right? The heart of a child. But think about this for us as adults who are more mature, who are still found on occasion sort of with rather infantile requests, Requests that, if thought out, we might not ever actually utter. And so David issues a very sincere request for help. But there's a second part to this as well, and it is a change of perspective. It's a new perspective. And this is really where the passage begins to shift gears. After looking at the motivational elements, we see David's specific request The save petition of this prayer is actually kind of strange at first glance. The request is, enlighten my eyes. Did you notice that? It's not change my circumstances. It's not take out Saul so that he's not dealing, I don't have to deal with him anymore. It is enlighten my eyes. David is using an image from his long career as a front line soldier. David has is, a, is experienced in hand-to-hand combat. You know, in, in his day, there were no hero medics that would rescue fallen comrades and take them to a helicopter and rush them to modern medical care. In David's army, when a, a person would fall, they would likely remain on the battleground fallen until the battle was over. And then at the end of the day, when each karmic army went back to their camp, there might be those who would come back and pick up those who were fallen. They would care for their wounds. They would apply bandages, and they would use ointments and oils to treat cuts. But really, when you think about it, it's rudimentary medical care when you're considering this carnage of swords and spears and arrows and axes. But David was well acquainted with death. And sometimes it can feel that way to us. When we're in the middle of crisis or turmoil or difficult circumstances, it can feel like we are wounded on a battlefield, that we are bleeding out and left with nobody around. And and the temporary sort of treatments that come along do no good for these gaping wounds that exist in our lives. 
He compares himself to one laying on the battlefield about to die. Like fallen comrades, he speaks of failing eyesight. It's an ominous premonition of the end. He's using imagery of a slowly dying man whose life forces are fading out. I believe that David is suggesting that the problem of a forgetting God is our view of him. When we feel that God has forgotten us, then we need him to answer our prayer. Our prayer should be not change our circumstances, not make everything easy, not bring me out of this, but enlighten my eyes. We need to have our eyes refocused on the character of God. The spiritual cataracts have to be removed. In those those times when we feel like God is forgetting us, we need to pray that God would give us a new view of him. And so how do we change our view? We change our view by instead of looking internally and looking externally to the things that are happening around us, but then we begin to look upward. Look at the last section here in verse 5. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's an upward look of faith. Notice here in verse 5 that the mood shifts. He says, but I. Really, one of the only explanations here is that God has answered his prayer, and yet the events and circumstances of his life have not changed. In fact, even the feelings still remain. But God has enlightened his eyes. He's given him a new perspective. God has given him a new view of his character. He's not been delivered from his trouble. His praise is still in the future. And yet in his adversity, he has learned a new level of trusting God. In our own day of distress, it'd be a mistake for us to look for new revelation from outside sources. Sometimes when we're in these circumstances and we feel like God is not responding, we're we're just so desperate that we go to look for anything. We look at preachers and podcasts and books and friends, and we're looking for anything that will give us these answers. And sometimes we know what we want to do in our circumstances, and so we go to Scripture with an agenda to hunt out and find a verse that will validate doing or thinking the way that we want to think or doing what we want to do. But we have to be careful about that. We have the complete revelation of the scriptures of God, something that David actually only had in part. And that's really the first part of that, is that there is new insight and fresh understanding from old words. Our problem often is not a lack of revelation, but a failure to appropriate the revelation that we have. So when we pray David's prayer to enlighten our eyes, we think that things are going to change a certain way. We have an expectation for a certain response. We look for new levels of fresh reminders or new understanding, and we we think that somehow that's going to just sort of change how we look or see or understand the Scripture. But the reality is, is that a new insight comes from going back to old Scriptures, to old answers, things that you've heard, things that you know, things that are your anchor. And that is the joy and the blessing of God's word, is that there are things that God has established in your heart and in your faith that will stay and cement over time. And when you are in the midst 
of these difficult circumstances. It is not new, edgy philosophies that will help. It is the strength and truth of God's word. The things that we've heard since we were children, the things that we've known and memorized will come back at the right times in the right ways just when we need them. If prayer is truly regarded as a communication with deity, and if the Bible is genuinely believed to be the revelation of God in written words, then there can be no more profound advice this side of glory than to do these things, to pray, to continue to trust in God, to continue to allow his word to be your anchor, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems like it is inactive, even when it seems like it is not accomplishing anything, to allow those truths to be the basis of your days. A.W. Tozer said, everyone is as close to God as they want to be. God allows suffering in our lives. We, We know that. We know that it's part of the spiritual journey. We know that it's part of the Christian life, that suffering has its purposes. I'm not going to get into all of this right now, but there are four different ways that God uses suffering in our lives. He uses suffering to help us grow and mature. He uses suffering sometimes to punish evil. It doesn't mean that every circumstance that you face is a result of sin, but it could be. It could be. We have to evaluate and sort of reconcile our own lives. God uses suffering to display his work through you. He uses suffering because it is part of God's given destiny for each of us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. We're destined for it. And so this is an upward look of faith. It's looking to God's word. It's relying and trusting on his truth to be true, even when it doesn't feel true, and even when it doesn't look true, it's still true. And here's why. And and I could have saved us a lot of time because this really is all I'm trying to say. Is when, when God seems far away in our lives, when we feel disconnected from God, it's okay. You have permission to feel that way. You have permission to think that way. You have permission to dwell in that pain. But know this. It may not seem like it, it may not feel like it, but know this, that God is a God of loyal love. That when betrayal is all around us, God is always loyal. And in his loyal love, there is no forgetting. In those times that we feel like God is forgetting us, there are times that we need to remember him. As it turns out, forgetting really is just a people kind of a thing to do. David remembers one of the greatest characteristics of the Lord displayed in the Psalms, his loyal love. 
The Spirit allowed David to challenge the basic aspect of his character. He allowed him to challenge it, but only to have his challenge refuted and his faith strengthened in the loyal love of God. It's through this suffering that David's stand of faith is strengthened in the Lord's essential loving loyalty. Sometimes we talk about threshold of pain. Sometimes we need to talk about our threshold of faith. When our faith is put through testing and God brings us through that test, then we are ready to believe him more intensely than ever before. And so when we say that God is eternal, we mean that he cannot die. When we say that God is truth, we mean that he cannot lie. When we say that God loves his people with a loyal love, we mean that with all of his power notwithstanding, he cannot forget those who are his. And so this is the tension. It is right and normal for you to feel forgotten. And yet at the same time, It is right and true that God has not forgotten you. And both of those things can coexist and can strengthen your faith as you walk through them and as you allow others to come alongside and walk with you. 2 Timothy 2 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God loves his people with a loyal love. And in that loyal love, there is no forgetting. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how much or how little this resonates with you. But I believe that there are some who are probably here this morning or watching online who are in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this feeling of God being far away, being distant, feeling like you are living in despair from time to time. And let me encourage you with this. You need to know that God's love is loyal. You may not feel it right now. You may not be able to live in its joy right now. But when you come through, and you will come through, God will be there. And when he is there, you will see that his love is loyal. And when you see that his love is loyal, you realize that he was walking with you all the way along. You have not been forgotten. He loves you. God sees your pain and your discontent. He loves you. God hears your cries. He loves you. God understands your loneliness. He loves you. God acknowledges your disappointments. He loves you. You have not been forgotten. He is loyally by your side. I want to just sort of close with prayer, but I want to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to share just a song with you, and it's just meant to be kind of a reflective prayer. And I don't know where you're at and how God is speaking to your hearts, uh, but there is no greater uh, truth than this, that knowing Christ is the hope of the world, but knowing Christ is also the hope of your life. And in our tragedy and crisis and despair and difficult circumstances and the uncertainty of life, we can wrestle with a lot of our own feelings and our own attempts to kind of solve and make sense of the world around us. But the only thing that will actually give us peace, the only thing that will actually bring about joy is knowing Christ. And in our relationship with him, he is loyal and dependable, even when we don't feel like it 
even when we are angry at his inactivity, even when we don't understand why it's not happening the way that we want, he is loyally loving each of us. Okay, we're going to pray. That song (laughs) clearly was not what God had for us. So, Lord, thank you for our time this morning. God, I just want to end this time in in prayer, God. And I, um, God, my heart goes out. Uh, for people here, I don't know them all and don't know them that well. And yet, God, I know that you are faithful and good. And so, God, I pray that you would just minister to the hearts of people that are here. God, I, I, I believe that there are probably some who are here that are just in the midst of a trial, a circumstance. They're in the midst or have been recently where they've just felt like, God, you have been distant, that you've been silent. And so, God, I just pray that you would lift them up, God, that you would encourage their hearts, God, that you would give them signs through your word uh, that you are there with them, that you are walking beside them. And God, I pray as a body of believers that we'd be able to surround one another and build each other up, to lift one another up, to carry one another's burdens, even at times that we cannot, even at times that we are uh, uh, at a loss in, in the expression of our faith. God, we pray that you would do the work in their hearts and in their lives. And God, we thank you that you are a God who exercises loyal love, that even when we don't feel the love, even when we don't feel like things are making sense, God, that your character, that who you are remains true. And God, that we can count on you from the beginning to the end. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I just...